God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Let me say that again. God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not produce on your own. Paul Tripp said those words, and they have stuck to my ribs ever since I heard them. And I believe it with all of my heart. I love that sentence. Philip Weber and I talk about this sentence all the time. This one sentence we come back to in our conversations as we're talking with one another and saying, God's probably taking us to this place to do something in us that, that we don't know about and we can't make on our own. So I love that sentence. But I hate it too. If I'm honest, I don't like that God takes me where I have not intended to go in order to produce in me what I could not achieve on my own. I don't like that at all. But I know it's true. I 100% believe that with all of my heart. And I 100% hate that with all of my heart. I'm just being honest with you this morning. And isn't that what you're looking for in a preacher? Honesty. I'm just being honest with you this morning. I do not like suffering. I do not like trials. I do not like that God takes me to places that I have no desire to go, have not intended to go, so that he can produce in me something that I could never achieve on my own, in my own strength, in my own wisdom. You see, I want my life to be easy. I want Jesus to give me everything that I want, everything that I asked for yesterday. I just want sanctification pills for crying out loud. I want a pill that I can take that will make me more like Jesus, a sanctification pill. What is sanctification? The Westminster Shorter Catechism answers it this way. Question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So sanctification is the work of God's free grace in our lives where the Holy Spirit renews us and enables us to die to sin and to live for righteousness. In short, it's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. But wouldn't it be great if you could just take a sanctification pill in the morning and then slowly throughout the day you would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Sign me up for that. I'll do the test market thing, okay? Wouldn't it be great if God said, just take two sanctification pills and call me in the morning? It would be great. You take two sanctification pills before you go to bed, you wake up, you read your Bible, you pray, and you're made more like Jesus. That's what I want. But I know that the Bible teaches that there is a level of growth and godliness and maturity that cannot be achieved only through Bible reading. I know from reading God's word that there is a level of growth and godliness and maturity that cannot be achieved only by prayer. I know that there's a level of growth and godliness and maturity that cannot be achieved only through fellowship with other believers. 
I know that there's a level of growth and godliness and maturity that can only be achieved through suffering. Take two sanctification pills before bed. Wake up, read Bible, pray, be made more like Jesus. That's my dream Christian life. But that's not how Christianity works. That's not how discipleship works. That's not how sanctification works. Unfortunately, if we can use that word, unfortunately, the process of sanctification, the slow, slow process of being more and more, being made more and more like Jesus, unfortunately, it is painful. It hurts. There's discomfort because we have to die to our darling sins. There's irritation. There are aches and pains and tenderness when we're dying to sin. Because in sanctification, all of your spiritual nerve endings are on fire. In sanctification, God reveals all of your idols. He burns up all of your idols. In sanctification, God reveals all the things that you cling to, all the idols that you cling to in order to find satisfaction. In sanctification, God reveals all the things that we are trusting in. And God often uses trials and hardships and sufferings then to expose us, to expose these things about us, to expose our idols, to expose our darling sins. And so our big idea today is that sentence, what Paul Tripp said, God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. What Paul Tripp means is that God wants to conform you to the image of his son Jesus. So in order for that to happen, he will often take you to some dark places. He will take you through some trials, through some fires, through some painful situations and painful relationships. And the reason that he does that is because you and I cannot produce this Christ-likeness on our own. It's only as we go through the fire and the pain and the trials and the sufferings that we become more and more like Jesus. There is no sanctification pill to take. Sorry, Grace. But even though this seems dark and hopeless, it's actually full of hope. There is hope as we suffer because we know that our Heavenly Father has ordained every suffering that we face, every circumstance that we find ourselves in, every relationship issue that we have. We know that God has ordained those things, and we know that He will never leave us. And we know that He uses the suffering that we experience to transform us. And we know that when we suffer, the Holy Spirit will comfort us. And that gives us hope. And hope is contagious. That's why Paul is stressing hope here in verse 7. Because he knows that hope is contagious and that hope will spread among the Corinthian church. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to only look at verse 7 today. Hear the word of the Lord. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The Apostle Paul is a realist. You have to love that about him. He knows that the path of discipleship involves suffering. 
But Paul is also confident in who God is. So everything that Paul has said about God so far in this letter, through these first seven verses now, Paul believes it with all of his guts. His hope is unshaken. No matter what comes his way, no matter what comes the way of the Corinthians, Paul's hope is unshaken. It's firm. It's Rock solid. The Greek word here that Paul uses for unshaken was a commercial term in Paul's day that meant something was guaranteed. So Paul's hope is unshaken, rock solid. It's guaranteed because he knows who God is. It isn't that his faith and his hope are strong. It's who Paul hopes in that gives him this confidence. So suffering does not phase Paul's confidence in the faithfulness of God. He understands and he believes that any Christian who suffers will be comforted by God. Any Christian that suffers will be comforted by God. And one reason that he is telling the Corinthians about this hope is because Paul knows that hope is contagious. Paul knows that when he speaks of who God is and how faithful he is and thus speaks about his hope in God, then the Corinthians would have hope too because hope is contagious. Because Paul has hope for them, they can have hope and they can trust in God too even when they suffer like Paul. So understand this, Grace. When we suffer We have job descriptions, if you will, and here are the job descriptions for us and for God when we share in Christ's sufferings. God's job is to comfort us, and our job is to trust. When we suffer, God's job is to come alongside and to comfort us, and our job in the middle of our suffering, whatever we're going through, our job is to trust Him, to trust His promises. Now, I get that, obviously, by the way Paul describes God here. Duh, he calls Him the God of all comforts. That's what God does. That's easy to spot in verse 7. You will also share in our comfort. But where is the trust here? Where is the idea of trust in verse 7? I get that from the confidence and hope that Paul has for the Corinthians that when they suffer, they will be comforted. He says, you will also share in our comfort. Paul trusts that God is going to do his job as the Corinthians are suffering. And by trusting that God will do his job, Paul is doing his job, which is to trust God. And by trusting God out loud to the Corinthians, Paul is comforting them and showing them that they too can trust God to comfort them when they suffer. But why does Paul spend so much time piling up these words in these first couple of paragraphs, words like comfort and suffering and affliction? Why does he spill so much ink on suffering and comfort? Here's why. Because Paul knows us. He's read our mail. He knows how we get when we suffer. Paul knows that when we suffer and things don't go according to our plan in our life, Paul knows how we react. He knows that when we suffer, we might begin to think that God is angry at us or that maybe he's getting back at us or maybe he's punishing us. Paul knows that when suffering comes in, to our lives, we may first see it as loss, and then we may begin to think that we have been abandoned. But Paul also knows that when we suffer, God is actually giving us more of himself, and he's working in us to make us more like Jesus. Paul knows that when we suffer, 
God's free grace is sanctifying us and making us more like Jesus. So when you are suffering, here is what you must remember. Here is what you must preach to your heart this morning. If you're going through trials and you don't know why and you see no end in sight and you feel like there is hope, here is what you must preach to your heart this morning. Number one, your sufferings are not evidence against you as if it's some form of retaliation by God. And number two, your sufferings are not evidence against God as if suddenly he has changed and he is no longer a good father. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Your sufferings are actually proof that God is a good, good father. As Hebrews 12, 7 says, when you suffer, God is treating you as sons. A good father loves and disciplines his children. He wants to see them mature and develop. When we suffer, our role is to accept it and to wait while God fulfills all of his good purposes for us. And while we wait, he comforts us. We get to share in his comfort while we wait. But if you're like me, I don't often think of God's comfort when I have to wait. I get irritable. You know how many verses there are that just say, wait for the Lord? We don't like waiting, do we? Sometimes God makes you wait a long time to solve an issue or a problem because he wants to develop you and mature you. I don't like waiting. I want God to answer my prayers right away. But what I've seen through my life is that God makes me wait because he's doing things inside of me. He's doing a million other things, but he's definitely doing something in my heart. We get to share in his comfort as we wait. So waiting isn't a bad thing because as you wait, God comforts you. You get more of God as you wait. Look at verse 7 again. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Notice that Paul is not confident in their spirituality or the Corinthians' own ability to get them through suffering. Nor is Paul fearful that they will lose hope during suffering. He rests in the character of God. Paul knows two things about this church. Number one, they will suffer. And number two, they will be comforted. Paul knows that this little church that he planted would share in the sufferings of Christ. But he is full of hope that they would also share in God's comfort. That they would share in God's, and this is what God's comfort is, the Greek word here, has the idea of coming alongside someone, holding their hands, encouraging them, and cheering them on. He says, I know you're going to get that kind of comfort when you suffer. In fact, the word that Paul uses here for share in, when he says they will share in Christ's sufferings, and when they will share in comfort, is the word that we get our word fellowship from. It's a form of the Greek word koinonia. I mean, you know that Greek word, don't you? I mean, I think to be a Christian, that's the one Greek word you have to know, right? At some point after you become a Christian, that's probably the very first Greek word that you learn, koinonia. That's the word here. So Paul is saying that as disciples live in a fallen world, we will share in, we will have fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. But we don't lose our hope when we suffer because we know that we will also share in or have fellowship with comfort as well. Paul knows that as the Corinthians suffer, 
They're going to share in God cheering them on and God encouraging them and God refreshing them and God consoling them and God comforting them. Listen, if you suffer, and you will, when you suffer, you will be comforted by God. I have no doubt about that. God's word says it in verse 7. Do we believe God's word here? When you suffer, you will be comforted. If you're suffering anything in this life right now, you are experiencing God's comfort in some way. Whenever you suffer, you will experience God's comfort. Because as we just saying, he is a good, good father. I was praying yesterday for some families here in the church, some situations that are really messed up, and there's just a lot of brokenness and sadness. And as I was praying, I don't know if you're this way, but sometimes when you pray about these messy situations, sometimes it feels like the darkness and the sin is starting to overpower that, as if it, ha- as if it has more power than God in those moments. When the situations are so messed up, and you're like, God, how can you do anything here? And it feels like everything is getting dark. And then I reminded myself, no, I can have hope that God will bring comfort to these people and to these families because he says he will. He's a God of comfort. So no matter what you are going through right now, God is comforting you. And he's probably doing it in miraculous and wonderful, strange and mysterious, wise and unguessable ways like he always does because that's just how he is. Whether you hear him or see him this morning, Christian, Jesus is cheering you on. He's coming alongside you with whatever you're in. And he's saying, you can make it because my spirit is with you. I'm just doing something inside that little heart of yours right now while you wait. Here's what I love about Paul. He does not deny suffering. You have to appreciate that about his philosophy of ministry. It's rooted in the Old Testament where we see God's people are always suffering But Paul's philosophy of ministry is also rooted in reality. He doesn't sugarcoat things for this church. He doesn't paint a picture of life and ministry as one of triumph and success, like what the super apostles were peddling. Remember, this church has been invaded by these false teachers called super apostles, and they made ministry about them, and they were always chipper, always in a good mood, always happy, happy, happy. There was no suffering. They had no category for suffering and pain and sorrow. So Paul keeps it real with the Corinthians. And he tells them straight up, y'all are going to suffer. If you follow Jesus, you will have to take up your cross because suffering is the plan. But you will also be comforted. God will comfort you in a myriad of ways and many times because he loves you so much. He will do it in miraculous, wonderful, strange, mysterious, wise, and unguessable ways. If you haven't figured it out this far into our series in 2 Corinthians, the Christian life is one of suffering. That's what we've been doing as we've slogged our way through these opening verses. We're going slow because we're developing a biblical theology of suffering. We've been dissecting these verses so that we walk away remembering that suffering is central to the Christian story. We've been spending so much time here developing a biblical theology of suffering because we want an easy life. And we get upset when our life is not easy. 
So we're taking our time here so that we can learn and be reminded again that the Christian life is one of suffering. But here's the good news through all of this. Suffering is not final. Though suffering is central to the Christian story, it is not final. Suffering does not get the last word. Suffering does not get the last word in verse 7, either in English or in the Greek Bible. Suffering is not the last word. And suffering does not get the last word in your life either, even though right now it feels like it's, it's dominating everything. Ed Welch said, We see that suffering is not the last word, but hope is. We see that God has purposes in hardships. And the grandest purpose is that we would trust him rather than be fair-weather friends who trust only when we have what we want. Hope is the last word for Christians, not suffering. We are a people of hope. We are not primarily characterized as people who suffer We are not primarily uh, characterized as disciples who suffer. We are primarily a people of hope. A people of hope because Jesus is better than Adam. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus triumphs over Adam's sin. So the gospel infuses our suffering with hope and not the other way around. The gospel infuses our suffering with hope. With hope, and it's not the other way around. See, suffering does not invade our hope and chase it down the street and stab it in a back alley and leave it for dead. Suffering does not do that to our hope. Of course, we may at times, it may feel like that, it may feel like our hope has slipped through our hands momentarily, but the Holy Spirit always comes to recalibrate us with His comfort. And so the gospel actually infuses our suffering with hope, not the other way around. We believe as Christians that God has purposes in our hardships. We believe that God has purposes even when all feels hopeless. Even if we suffer for standing up for the truth of God's word in this cultural climate, we believe that God will purpose in and through our suffering to bring us good and to bring him glory. It's painful, and it stings, and you may not like it, but it's true. God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Listen, whatever you are going through right now, God has a purpose for you in it, even if it feels hopeless. Listen, Jesus specializes in desperate situations. He specializes in taking overwhelming circumstances and using them to bring good into his people's lives. The raw material that Jesus often uses to bring good into our lives is suffering and hardship. That's where we learn. That's where we grow. That's where we get to know God more. Don't you want to know God more? Don't you want to know? I just read it uh, last night in... Is it Hosea 6.3 maybe? Let us press on to know. Let us press on to know the Lord more. Don't you want to know God more? I do. My problem, my sinful heart is I just want to know God through his word and that's it. My sinful heart doesn't want to go through trials where I learn about God more and more. I just want to read the Bible and have everything be okay. Elizabeth Elliot 
who has suffered a lot in her life. And so you listen to someone like that. She said, the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. Not the deepest Bible studies. She's not against Bible studies. I'm not against them. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Dig in deep. That's where you get to know the Lord. But listen to what she says. The deepest things I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest sufferings. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. Suffering is how God deepens us and makes us deep people who aren't fickle. Suffering matures us, which is what the Corinthian church desperately needed. They needed depth. They needed maturity. And one way that they would get there is through suffering, which is why Paul is so full of hope as they suffer. Because God, Paul knows that God is producing things in that little church that could not come about apart from sharing in Christ's sufferings. And so you can file that under H for hope. Suffering matures us. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to mature even more as a Christian? Who doesn't want to become spiritually mature? One way to get there is through suffering. Maturity doesn't just come through Bible reading. It also comes through suffering. And so God led Paul to deep waters and through hot fires, and God had purposes for that. In 2 Corinthians 12, which we'll eventually get to, Paul talks about this. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is giving us the email that he got from God, where he tells us that he had this thorn in the flesh, and he begged God to remove it. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. Scholars speculate. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Whatever it was, it was painful, the situation whether it was physical, spiritual, or relationship, something. It was so bad that three times Paul begged Jesus, please take this away from me. Listen to his words in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. The 2 Corinthians 12 thorn email went something like this, and it's what Paul is passing on to the Corinthians. It's as if Jesus emailed Paul after he begged three times for this thorn to be removed. It's as if Jesus emailed him and said, Dear Paul, number one, the thorn stays. Number two, add in my comfort. And number three, and now you'll have even more to offer other sufferers than you could ever dream. Love your sufficient Savior, Jesus. Paul now understands, and his hope is unshaken, that if the Corinthians do suffer, and God does not remove their thorns, then God will be faithful to comfort them, and in time, they will be able to comfort others. Paul knows that when a thorn in the flesh is not removed, it can bring about maturity. 
and depth to the Christian. When a thorn is not removed from your life, it can bring about depth and maturity that you will not be able to get any other way. And so embedded thorns can mature you if you let it. If you open up to Jesus and get low in humility and say, I want you to remove it, but if you don't, would you mature me through this? Would you deepen me? Help me to quit being a little brat who's just in pain crying out to you. Would you make me a deeper Christian? Let me ask you today, what thorn is in your life that you want God to remove? A person, a job, a situation, a trial, a suffering? And you're saying, Jesus, just remove it. It might be that through that process, God is going to deepen you and mature you in such a way that you can take the comfort that you receive and pass it on to other people. After suffering and being comforted by God, the Corinthians will have even more to offer other sufferers, more than if they didn't suffer at all. So when the thorn remains and we are comforted by God, it enables us to minister in ways that we've never even imagined because we mature and we grow while we wait. But too often we want God to remove the thorn, don't we? I know I do. I'm always asking God to remove the thorns in my flesh. All the time I'm like, did I go through a briar patch or something here? Take away all these thorns, plural. Paul says thorn in the flesh. Sometimes I feel like I have thorns, plural. And I'm always begging God, take away the thorns. I assume that you do too. I assume that you're just as allergic to thorns as I am. But God might be saying to us, y'all, keep the thorn. I'll give you comfort. And then I'll do a deeper work in you than if you didn't have this thorn. Trust me. My grace is sufficient. And as a result, you'll be more mature and able to pass on more of my comfort in ways that you have never even dreamed. You can even have hope, unshaken hope, if the thorn stays because God will use the thorn to produce in you what you could not produce on your own. That's why Paul can say here, our hope for you is unshaken. He's learned a thing or two about not removing thorns. And so you can trust a guy like that. Listen, Jesus doesn't often give a quick fix to our sufferings. He might. Sometimes he does. He can. He might deliver us miraculously. He might just remove the thorn. That's what we all want, isn't it? But Jesus often just gives Sufficient grace to keep plowing ahead one day at a time. Jesus doesn't typically give out quick fixes. He gives sufficient grace, daily grace, daily comfort for all the thorns that are stuck in our flesh. And so, yes, it's true. God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own And it happens by his free grace in sanctification. And so those places of loss and anguish and suffering and despair, those are the places where God is our only hope. 
those places of loss and anguish and suffering and despair, those are the places where God is often most present. And it's also where the deepest, most profound people in all the world can be found. We'll talk more about this next week, but people who suffer deeply are the most profound people you will ever meet because they usually meet God in those dark places. You meet someone who's spiritually mature and there's depth to their life, really profound people, it's often because they have gone through some horrible experiences and trials and sufferings and they met God there and they were transformed and they were changed. These people would tell you that they never would have chosen those places of loss and anguish and suffering and despair, but that's where God comforted them, comforted them, and they are different now. They would tell you, like Paul does here, that their hope for you when you suffer is unshaken too because they know that God will meet you there in those dark places and you will be changed and deepened and matured. I've seen it in my life numerous times. I look now back at the thorns that I hated, that I clawed at my skin, if you will, to get out, that I dug in deep and just made them go deeper, that I wanted to remove. And now I look back. I don't call the bad things and the evil things good, but I look back now and I say, I can give thanks that I went through that situation because I met Jesus and I took my relationship with him to a whole nother level. Went deeper, matured, roots went down deeper into the soil of the gospel. And so I look back now and say I would not wish those times on any of my enemies. But now on this side of it, I can look back and say, I can give thanks for that. Because I met God there. I wanted the thorn removed and Jesus showed up, and that makes all the difference. Let's close with something else that Paul Tripp said. This is a lengthy quote, so buckle up. So God, in the grandeur and glory of his relentless love, will boil you. Here's the principle. God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. You know what that's called? Grace. Grace grace. God knows how sturdy our self-righteousness is. He knows how reliant we are on our own strength and wisdom. He knows how attracted we are to the things of the world. He knows how easily satisfied we are, thinking we're grace graduates when we're not. He knows how much we're able to shift the blame and make excuses, how much we're able to swindle ourselves. And so, in grace, He will take us beyond our wisdom beyond our strength, beyond our plan, beyond our righteousness, to places we would not have ever chosen to go so that we do the thing that we desperately, that we need to do. We reach out in hands of helplessness and hope and say, I need your grace. Because grace is only for the broken. Grace is only for the weak. Grace is only for the poor. Grace is only for the diseased. Grace is only for sinners. And unless you're there, you don't desire grace. God wants you there. And those moments of desperation are not God forgetting the plan or God ignoring the plan or something in the way of the plan. Those moments of desperation are the plan. It's the plan. So brothers and sisters, we better quit naming those moments as signs of God's unfaithfulness and inattention because if you're God's child, those moments are sure signs of his covenant love. That's not God moving away that is a glorious, faithful, ever-present redeemer moving closer. 
We need to begin to teach and encourage one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace. Did you hear what I said? We need to teach and admonish and encourage and comfort one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace because this side of eternity, God's grace often comes to us in uncomfortable forms. Oh, I know, because I'm like you. You want the grace of release. You want the grace of relief. And those come in little pieces. But ultimately, hear what I'm going to say. Release is coming. Relief is coming. But what you actually need right now is refinement. That's what you need. That's what I need. And perhaps if there are moments in your life where you're crying out, where is the grace of God? And you're getting it. But it's not the grace of release. And it's not the grace of relief. It's the uncomfortable grace of refinement. You already are getting the grace that you're crying out for. You're getting it. Isn't that good? In the grandeur and glory of His relentless love, God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own, simply through Bible reading or prayer or fellowship. And so please don't name those moments of suffering and pain as God forgetting you or God ignoring you. He's not. Those moments and those times and those seasons of your life are sure signs of His covenant love. And so trust Him, Grace. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. He wanted me to tell you that this morning. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you in your place for your sins on the cross. And his spirit regenerated you and saved you and adopted you into his family. And now he's just making you more like his son. It's painful, but there's comfort too. There's comfort as we suffer. As Paul says in Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Christian, you have been adopted by God. He chose you. You didn't meet any sort of requirement. You weren't like a little bit better than someone else, and God's like, mm, I guess I'll take that guy. He chose you. He's not stuck with you. He's not up there in heaven saying, why did I choose this guy? That guy over there has promise, and I didn't pick him, and I picked this guy. He's not stuck with you. He wanted you. He chose you. You were on his heart in eternity past. And he wants you to believe it with all of your heart this morning. He wants you to believe his gospel. No ifs, ands, or buts. Believe it and swallow it whole and take deep, repeated gulps of the gospel today. And you know what else God wants you to do? He wants you to stand up right now and sing the next song that we're going to sing with reckless abandon. To sing these words. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christian, you are as white as snow this morning. You're clean. You're forgiven. So let's pray and then we'll sing about our hope that we have so that it will comfort our hearts. Father, thank you for your great love for us. So many times we don't understand what you're doing, why you haven't answered our prayers the way 
that we want, why we're experiencing sadness and sorrow and brokenness, trials, hardships. Would you forgive us? You're so trustworthy. You're so trustworthy. We're the idiots and fools who struggle. We believe, but help our unbelief. Forgive us. And this morning, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just flood our hearts with hope, with hope that you're doing things in our lives even when we don't understand. Help us to learn and grow and mature and deepen and take the comfort that you give us today and in time be able to share that with others so that we can have unshaken hope for them as well. Would you do all of this so that your name is glorified as the God of all comforts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.